Hi friends, before we get into today's podcast, I want to say a few words about the tragedy that took place in New Zealand this past week when a crazed madman went into two mosques in New Zealand and killed 50 people. That number has continued to go up from the original total and as they are clearing bodies out of the the mosques, they have found more as time went on. There are 36 people who are still hospitalized from that horrible act and two of those 36 are in critical condition. People who survived are going to be scarred for the rest of their lives. Now being a mosque, obviously that is where Muslims practice their faith. Those of us who work here at the Wrestling News Blog, we're Christians. But our feeling is that nobody, no matter what their religion, should have to be afraid to go into their place of worship and pay homage to that that they believe in. It is a great tragedy and saddens all of us here at Wrestling News Blog. You know, wrestling through the years has been a source of healing in horrible situations. When you think about 9-11 and what happened there and the way that wrestling was one of the first things after the tragedies that helped bring the country together and helped with healing. You look at the different organizations that do support the troops shows and those kinds of things and healing is what takes place. We know that wrestling is just fun and it's a profession for many but for most of us it is just entertainment. While I would normally say that I don't like the word entertainment as in sports entertainment, we do know that wrestling is there to entertain us and in turn many times wrestling heals us. Let me say a word of prayer for those that have been affected by this horrible shooting. Father, I come to you just now and it's with a heavy heart for the topic that we're talking about here. Father, there is no excuse, no reason for anybody to ever do what happened to those 50 people, those other 36 that are injured, and their families, Father. I pray for the memory of those who are lost. I pray for healing for those who are injured. And I pray for the families that are involved, for comfort, and and just be with them, Father. We all bleed the same. Man, Disa tells us that in a song. And Father, those 50 people bled and died the same way that other people bleed and die. It may be in a country halfway across the world, Father, but we know that all are precious in your sight. We just pray for the situation. And Father, we just pray that you would show healing in the midst of tragedy. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Now let's get started. Discussing pro wrestling with industry insiders, past, present, and future. This is the Wrestling News Blog official podcast. All right, let's kick this week's Wrestling News Blog official podcast off with a good subject, a good topic. You know, if you know me, you know I love AJ Styles. I've had I've interviewed him. He's a good godly man and, and so excited. But what happened this week, man, it was one of those uh promos that just get you going. Not so much for the buildup of a match, but for the way that they did it and the topics that they used. They were they, Randy Orton. AJ Styles. Orton comes out and wonders aloud how this could be the house that AJ Styles built. AJ says that on a regular basis. That's that's one of his sticks, so to speak. 
Well, what I don't understand is in 2002, AJ Styles was wrestling for 10 bucks a night in a high school gymnasium in front of 12 people while I was here, while I was here making my WWE in-ring debut. In 2004, AJ Styles was shaking hands with his opponents in the bingo halls, and I was here becoming the youngest WWE champion ever. In 2005, AJ was down in Florida getting a tan with Dixie Carter while I was here facing The Undertaker at WrestleMania. Oh, got in a little Dixie Carter name there. He didn't name TNA or Impact Wrestling, just Nick Dixie Carter there. But every year after that, Orton was here in the WWE at the top, winning titles. Orton says, this is not the house that AJ Styles built. It was built long before AJ stepped foot in the ring, in a WWE ring. Orton goes on until music interrupts and out comes the phenomenal one. AJ just jumps right back on the indie topic. Wow, Randy. For someone who looks down on the indies... You sure did follow my career pretty closely. Hey, I'm flattered. And you're right, I did come from the Indies, and I'm damn proud of it too. Guys like you weren't made for my world. You were built for the WWE. And that's a good thing because guys like you would not have made it in my world. AJ says he's heard guys like Orton look down on the AJs of the world. He points to Orton's signature and says it's a knockoff of the diamond cutter. Ouch. Orton points out how AJ and the Bullet Club, AJ's pals, ripped off the too sweet gesture. AJ goes on about how Orton had helped his whole career. Evolution, you remember that team of yours? How about the legacy? No, you forgot about that one? Here's the one that everyone seemed to have forgotten. Rated RKO, you and Edge? Forget about that one? Oh, here's a good one. The Wyatt family. Says it sounded like Orton had a lot of babysitters over the years. At that point, I expected blows to go because, man, they are burning each other back and forth. Don't get him wrong. Orton is who he says he is. He's a viper who uses everyone around him and then tosses him to the curb when he's done. AJ says that's why he got the jump on Orton with the attack at Fastlane, because he won't be Orton's next victim. Orton said AJ has no choice as long as he wants to rent a room where Orton is the landlord, meaning a room in the house that Orton built. Orton says rent is due, and AJ can make the check out to three letters, RKO. Orton drops the mic and goes to leave, but AJ says if Orton wants his rent, he can come take it. AJ points to the WrestleMania 35 sign and says, as he said, come and get it. They have an awesome stare down, and Orton looks up at the WrestleMania sign. Will Orton accept the challenge? AJ's music hits, and they go... Uh, he goes to the back, but he, here's what I liked, you know, the, the indie 
the indie part of it. You know, there's there's a couple of ways to go about making it and going through the indie circuit. There's another way of of going through the WWE's uh, territorial way that was there for a long time, and now through the Performance Center. And, and but the thing is, the Indies are a very very needed part of the wrestling world today. And you might say, well, you're a little bit prejudiced. You you ring announce in an indie promotion, and. and yeah, I guess I am a little prejudiced, but I watch how hard guys work. And, you know, they work all day, 40 hours plus a week, and, and then they train, and then they come out and they put on a good show. Do they make much money? Not in the lower levels. You know, the, you can make good money doing indie work, but you got you to gotta sacrifice. It's not all luxurious, and those guys know that nothing is being handed to them. So wanted to start off with just how good that I thought that that promo was. And just, I love when they bring that kind of reality into the wrestling world. There's other parts that, of reality that I, I don't care for, but when it's like that, that makes for an awesome promo. For me, it's been really enjoyable to watch as AEW, All Elite Wrestling, has been making the move to becoming a reality. You know, we're watching in real time, step by step by step, how things are going. And, you know, you think back and this is a unique experience because even though obviously many parts of it are, are behind the scenes and we may never, um, never, never know what's going on. We're actually getting to see things with social media and, and how much things are in public that we've not had a chance to see in the past. Um, all this activity with intellectual property, uh, with Arn Anderson filing trademark applications, um, Jim Ross, we'll talk about that a little bit later, filing a, a trademark. But uh, to give some background, on March the 10th, 2019, Cody Runnels, also known as Cody in professional wrestling circles, applied to trademark the moniker he has used on the indie scene. Oh, did I say indie scene? That seems to be a recurring statement this week. The American Nightmare. Of course, the American Nightmare is a take on Cody's famous father, the American Dream, which Cody also applied to trademark on March 10, 2019. Conrad Thompson, through his business entity, Toot Toot LLC, applied to trademark Four Horsemen. Arn Anderson applied to trademark his ring name. And all of these things are happening. Again, Jim Ross made an application for a trademark. And so, hmm, all of these trademarks are happening. Arn gets released from WWE, and he actually spoke out about that this week and was very professional about it. 
didn't throw anybody under the bus. Jim Ross will be out of his contract at the end of this month. Hmm. It is also interesting that the attorney doing all this is the same person, Michael Dawkins. Hmm. Would it just be coincidence that that is the case? Hmm. I think not. Just think about for other people that have got history like Anderson, Jericho, Ross, if all of that comes to be what it says about AEW, what it says about what they believe, where they're going, and what they are doing. I tell you what, Vince has taken enough note that he is signing people early, re-signing people early, whose contracts are, are about to be up, and he's offering them big money. Big money. Do they need them? Or is it big money just to keep them out of all elite wrestling? I don't know. Okay, maybe I, I well, I have opinions on the matter. And it is the way Vince does business. Money buys things. But also money keeps other people from buying things. And I think back to WCW, and this just has a WCW feel to it to me. Um, will there be a, a Monday Night War? I don't know if it'll happen in the exact same way. I remember being shocked when WCW decided that they would go head-to-head -head with Raw. I thought it was a bad choice. Uh, you see what I knew. I was much younger back then, uh, but even if that happened today, I would think, man, how can a company at the size of the WWE, WWF back then, um, can somebody just basically come in on their time and, and, and take over? And they did it by going head to head. Um, that evolved into the Attitude Era and WCW stealing help from WWE. I mean, look at all the people that left WWE, went to WCW. I mean, Hall of Famers, names that anybody that's ever listened to wrestling, uh, modern wrestling, would have, would recognize. You got Hogan and Nash and Hall and Hart, all of those people left. And so I wonder if Vince is having flashbacks of what took place back in those days. And is he investing good money to not allow that to happen again? We know that we talked about last week that Cody wants to build through new names and not just recycling old gimmicks. And I believe that that's a great way to go. But I also believe that you got to have some firepower, star power behind what you're doing. 
If everything is so new, you wouldn't need to bring in a Chris Jericho. You wouldn't need an Arn Anderson from behind the scenes. You wouldn't need an announcer like Jim Ross. Now, I'm speculating now. There's been no announcement that Anderson is going there. There's been no announcement that JR is going there. So I'm speculating at this point. But it's going to get real, real soon. And it's something that I look forward to. And we look forward to covering at Wrestling News Blog and the official Wrestling News Blog podcast. On our This Week in Wrestling News segment, we're going to talk about a few different topics in a real quick fashion. If you weren't in last week, we're going to do this as kind of the speed section of the show. Jeff Jarrett and his work behind the scenes at WWE. Uh, there's a feeling that Jarrett is going to wind up being a very influential behind the scenes person. He's going to be a key person in the creative team. But Jeff knows how to play the wrestling business game. Uh, he's going to be working besides people, beside people like Dave Kapoor, Brian James, Mike. Michael P.S. Hayes, probably Paul Heyman, who is wielding more influence all the time in the back. You know, Jarrett is known for being a charming person and making people feel like he's their friend and and not in a necessarily a fake kind of way. I, I know from dealings with Jarrett, I, I'll send him a text and wish him happy birthday or something like that. And it's always thank you and, you know, things like that. He, he makes you feel like you're important. So look forward to seeing what Jeff Jarrett's got in the future with WWE. Jim Ross, we mentioned in the segment earlier that uh, he will be over at WWE at the end of this month, and he has trademarked under his business entity, JR's Black Hat Enterprises. Uh, he has trademarked the, the, the saying, the voice of wrestling. Uh, he's trademarked it to be used for live and personal appearances and podcasts and video podcasts, and we're looking forward to seeing where JR decides to rest his hat. Ric Flair had surgery this week. Uh, in a strange way that people kind of found out about it, Charles Barkley gave a shout out to Ric Flair, wishing him well before his surgical procedure that was on Friday of this last week. Then uh, Barkley uh, followed with uh, the appropriate woo! Flair uh, did have the surgery. Uh, no word on what it is. Uh, no word that if it has anything to do with his health scare back in 2017. And we just pray that Flair physically and medically uh, comes together and you know, we wish wished him a happy birthday last week and uh, praying that uh, everything went well on Friday. Becky Lynch is in the news, but not about Ronda Rousey, or at least this story is not about Ronda Rousey. Uh, at a fan signing, Becky Lynch, and it was there, and an individual reportedly had a seizure while waiting in line and had trouble making it up the stairs. Lynch quickly made her way over, held the fan until EMDs arrived. And she's going to be fighting Rousey and Charlotte at WrestleMania 35, but life happens. Kind of like we talked in the opening segment about what happened in New Zealand. Life happens and wrestling takes a back seat and Becky was right there and did the right thing helping that fan during their time of need. We also look at something that Santino Morella said going under the name his real name of Anthony Corelli uh, he said he has strong opinions about transgender women in sports as well as men wrestling women and expressed them on uh, a stream this week. He, um, he went to say if there's a girl out there that says this guy's giving us attitude I'm gonna step in and fight this guy because I saw that women can fight men because of the intergender wrestling and she goes out there and lips off and this guy's men a mental case and he cracks her with his fist 
glass and shatters her orbital or busts her lip, you know, it's not a good thing is what he's saying here. Um, you know, if we get this, well, we, we switch gears a little bit and Santino starts talking about transgender athletes. There's cases now in MMA and wrestling where there's trans girls that were born boys that are beating the crap, <laughs> inserted word, out of females and that's wrong, he said. If you're, you're a guy, born a guy, and you become a woman, you're accepted everywhere, he continues. But in the field of actual competitive sport, there has to be a barrier. And the barrier is based on sorry that you were born a man. And Santino shared that with the world this week. I'm sure he will end up taking a little bit of garbage about that. Jerry the King Lawler is going to continue to wrestle despite the fact that he needs double knee replacement operation. He's going to continue uh, out in, in wrestling. And I, I'm pretty sure I know of a place he's going to be that's not totally announced yet uh, here in the not too distant future. Uh, Lawler received the bad news from an orthopedic surgeon. They originally thought that he could undergo arthroscopic surgery to give him some relief on his aching knees, but he underwent an MRI and x-rays and it revealed that he's bone on bone and needs to have the replacement surgery on both. Uh, they're not gone, he said. You can still do whatever you want to do. You can still do whatever you want to do. It's just very painful. There's a lot of pain in the fact that your knee joints are bone on bone instead of having cartilage or whatever that stuff is <laughs> that is supposed to cushion between your upper bone and your lower bone. But he said, I'm just going to suffer with it for right now. And that's just kind of the way Jerry the King Lawler does it. In our wrestling throwback segment this week, we're going to talk about a legend. But it may be a legend that not a lot of people know. One that actually spent time in the ring, but known for, more for what he did behind the scenes, and that would be Jerry Jarrett. Yes, Jerry Jarrett, whose son, Double J, is probably more famous with the generation that we're in right now than his father. But I tell you what, it's kind of interesting the way some of the things are going with his father. He has a, an amazing podcast and just recently started a Roku channel that's focused on Memphis wrestling. And in this throwback segment, we, we've been focusing on Memphis wrestling, and we just wanted to introduce you to Jerry Jarrett. We've been working on this uh, for a while now, and we want to give you some background on Jerry Jarrett. As I mentioned, he is the father of Hall of Famer Jeff Jarrett, and he's the former co-owner of what is known, what was known as Memphis Wrestling Territory. Jerry is a key figure in the history of professional wrestling wrestling in the Mid-South United States, described as a wrestling genius. He was inducted into the National Wrestling Alliance Hall of Fame in 2009. Jarrett founded Memphis, Tennessee-based Continental Wrestling Association in 1977. In 1989, he merged his promotion with Dallas-based promotion World Class Champion Championship Wrestling and they created the new United States Wrestling Association, which eventually Jarrett sold to Jerry Lawler in 1977. He made another foray into promoting in 2002 when he co-founded 
NWA TNA with his son, Jeff Jarrett, selling his controlling interest to Panda Energy International a little bit later. He was exposed to wrestling business at a very early age. His mother worked as a ticket vendor, and he began selling programs for a promotion owned by Roy Welch and Nick Goulas at the age of seven. That's a pretty young start. He, at 14, he became a professional wrestler or professional wrestling promoter, renting buildings, advertising shows, constructing the ring, selling tickets, and stocking refreshments. Those things that promoters in the indie scene do each and every time they are at the arena. He worked as a promoter until he left Nashville to attend college. After college, he worked with Welch and Goulas as an office assistant and became a referee by default after a referee no-showed. Again, something that happens in the indie areas. He soon returned to promoting, working his way up from local promotions to regional and then national. While working as a referee, Jarrett decided to become a wrestler and was trained by his friend and future tag team partner, Tojo Yamamoto, and veteran, veteran wrestler, Sailor Moran. He wrestled his first match in Haiti in 1965. If you're a fan of Memphis wrestling from back in the day, you know the name Tojo Yamamoto. He became a successful wrestler in the South, particularly in his home state of Tennessee, forming tag teams with Jackie Fargo and once again, Tojo Yamamoto. After a dispute with Goulas in 77, Jared opted to break away and found his own founded his own promotion, CWA, Continental Wrestling Association. He had support of Buddy Fuller, Jerry Lawler, and his mother. Jarrett built the CWA into a successful promotion, staging events each Monday that regularly sold out the Mid-South Coliseum and airing television shows each Saturday morning. In 81, NWA Mid-South Mid-America folded due to competition from CWA with Gulas selling his territory to Jarrett. In 79, the, fa- the Freebirds wanted Jarrett to allow them to play Freebird on their entrances. The fir- they first tried it at the Mid-South Coliseum, along with twirling the house spotlights. So Jerry Jarrett became one of the first promoters to use music and videos to promote his roster of wrestling. In 1984, Jarrett entered into a talent exchange with Bill Watts' Mid-South Wrestling promotion. Jarrett and Lawler advised Watts to bring more young performers into his territory to attract a younger generation of fans, especially females, since they bring their boyfriends to shows. You know we mentioned earlier that he is a genius. In 88, Jarrett entered talks with Vern Gagne, owner of Memphis or Minneapolis, Minnesota-based AWA, the American Wrestling Association, about a potential merger. After the talks were abandoned in 89, Jarrett instead entered into a merger with Dallas, Texas-based promotion World Class Championship Wrestling to create the United States Wrestling Association. The USWA began promoting shows in Tennessee and Texas in 1989, with Jarrett aspiring to take the promotion national. In 1990, WCCW withdrew from the USWA after a revenue dispute, folding shortly thereafter. Unfortunately, as you read these things, you, you hear the 
the bad side of a business. And unfortunately, that is something that happens in the business. In 92, the USWA began a talent exchange program with the World Wrestling Federation. By the mid-90s, attendance at the Mid-South Coliseum had fallen sharply. And in 95, Jarrett sold his stake in the promotion to Jerry Lawler and Larry Burton. After stepping back, Jarrett worked as a consultant for both WCW and WWF. 2001, Jarrett put together proposals for the acquisition of WCW, circulating that he could return the company to profitability by aggressively cutting costs. The company's assets were, however, acquired by the WWF after its programming on TBS and TNT was canceled. After the sale of WCW to the WWE, WWF at that time, and the bankruptcy of Extreme Championship Wrestling, as they were much better known as ECW, the North American wrestling profession industry lacked anything that was even viably close to being competition to the WWE. Jerry and Jeff Jarrett then decided to fill that void with NWA TNA. They formed J Sports and Entertainment, and they were the parent company of NWA TNA. They began airing weekly pay-per-views on in-demand in June of 2002. In October that same year, JSE sold 72% controlling interest in TNA to Panda Energy. Jarrett remained part of the NWA management team until parting and departing in late 2005 over a dispute about the direction of the country. Jerry Jarrett now hosts the podcast Booking Memphis and now, as I mentioned earlier, has a Roku channel. And if you get the chance, especially if you are an old-time Memphis wrestling fan, you're going to see things that just stoke memories of the, the distant past. But if you're not from that era, it's fun to go back watched a uh, a video on Jarrett's Roku channel that was the Moon Dogs and the fabulous ones Stan Lane, Steve Kern. The the whole ring had blood on it. There was blood everywhere. They used tables, they used microphone stands, they used cords, they used the ring bell. And it went forever and ever and ever. It was it was the epitome of old school wrestling, and it was awesome. And you can get all you know all through the um, archive there of wrestling from back in the Memphis days. It's been a pleasure talking about Jerry Jarrett with you. Uh, hope that you get to know him through his podcast. We encourage you to go there through his Roku channel, and we'll keep promoting Memphis wrestling from back in the day right here on the Wrestling News Blog official podcast. The Wrestling News Blog official podcast. If you enjoyed today's show, please head over to iTunes, give us a rating, and leave a review. 
Follow us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. Thank you for listening. 